You are listening to a Radio Free Podcasting production. For more great podcasts like this, head on over to RadioFreePodcasting.com. Some days, my childhood feels so very far away, and others, I can almost see it. The magical land of my youth, like a beautiful dream, a world filled with comic books and movies, and comic book movies. Superman, Batman, Superman 2, Batman Returns, and a batch of sequels that proved the validity the law of diminishing returns. I'm looking at you, Nuclear Man. While a few crossovers were taking place on the small screen, primarily in animation, but also in some TV movies like The Trial of the Incredible Hulk, cinematic crossovers were nowhere to be found. Unless you count 1984's Supergirl movie, which I do not. While taking place in the same cinematic universe as the Christopher Reeves films, Superman was conveniently off-planet during this film, and Supergirl is nowhere to be found in Superman 4 The Quest for Peace. Also nowhere to be found during The Quest for Peace, an audience. But I digress. Let's face it, it's not easy to keep up the quality of a franchise when the first film set the bar really high. Just ask George Clooney. Comic book movies had a resurgence with Fox's X-Men and Sony's Spider-Man franchise in the start of the 21st century. Comic book characters were back in theaters and all was right with the world again, at least for a little while. But diminishing returns isn't just a guideline, it's the law. And it was only a matter of time before Spider-Man was infected with a space virus that compelled him to dance the night away or something. Both the Spider-Man and X-Men franchises' third installments made money at the box office, but suffered a dramatic drop in their Rotten Tomato scores, the curse of the sequel. And then Marvel Studios came along and tried a new approach. Rather than produce a series of films based on just one character, they gave us a series of films, each based on a different Marvel superhero that led up to a massive team-up. Just like in comic books. Subsequent films felt less like sequels, and more like chapters in a larger, ongoing story. Marvel's main competitor, DC, fresh off of a successful run of Batman films that took place in a self-contained world where no other superheroes existed, were ready to try their hand at the Marvel model starting with Man of Steel and then jumping straight into a crossover with Batman, which also featured an appearance from Wonder Woman, who stole the show in the third act. DC followed Batman v Superman with Wonder Woman's origin story, the first female-led film from either of the big two studios in the modern age of superhero films, beating Marvel to the punch by two years. Wonder Woman was a massive hit, grossing over $800 million and holding a Rotten Tomato score of 93% almost four years after its release. The film even won Best Film, Actress, and Actor in the Action category at the 2017 Teen Choice Awards, although stars Gal Gadot and Chris Pine missed out on the Best Ship Award, losing to Emma Watson and Dan Stevens in Beauty and the Beast. But that's a tale as old as time. Anyway, fans like me, and like you, I'm assuming, since you're listening to this, could not wait for more. But we would all have to, as the sequel film that was originally announced for December 2019 was first pushed to spring 2020 and then further delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Finally settling on a hybrid release in theaters and in homes on HBO Max, the much-anticipated sequel was released on Christmas Day, 
the perfect gift for any Wonder Woman fan. Or was it? Because despite the success of the first film, this one is still a sequel, which could go either way. For every Captain America, Winter Soldier, there's a Batman and Robin. For every Thor, Ragnarok, there's an X-Men, Dark Phoenix. For every Spider-Man 2, there's a Spider-Man 3. So what did Santa bring us this year? Exactly what we asked for? Or a big old lump of coal? We find out on today's episode of the Multiversal Remote Podcast as we review Wonder Woman 1984. I am a Jedi, like my father before me. You get all this for the price of $19.99. I'm the Doctor. I'm a Time Lord. Are you tired of flat, boring hairstyles? Truth is, I am Iron Man. Diana, Princess of the Mist. Prince, Diana Prince. Welcome to the Multiversal Remote Podcast with your hosts, Nick, Victoria, Tim, and Patrick. They're everything you say they are, but they're capable of so much more. I, uh, I was first exposed to Wonder Woman. <laughs> well, Wonder Woman exposed herself to me at a comic convention when I was 13. <laughs> I was never a big Wonder Woman fan, but I that, that story is not entirely untrue. We were downtown, but there, there was some sort of comic convention and some very pretty lady was dressed as Wonder Woman um, that was taking pictures. So my brother and I got a picture with her. But after that, I'm like, okay, I know she's a comic book character, but who is she? Because before that, all I knew about Wonder Woman was through Batman. Who, I mean, was obviously the greatest DC superhero ever. So, and, and that's kind of how I started. So it was like technically through Justice League when that I got introduced to Wonder Woman. Justice Friend? Hmm. Hall of Justice? See, now I don't even remember. Wasn't the Justice Friends the cartoon version? Super Friends. Super Friends, thank you. Who was in? Who was the? Who were the super friends? In the great hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe: Superman, Wonder Woman, Batman. Aquaman. I don't know if Nick was alive when that. Oh my gosh. Super Friends was absolutely what I meant. There you go. This was the first show that I like really dove into. And I, I think I was about 12. That's really old. Yeah. 1970s. Is that when this came out? 1973? Sounds about right. And no, Tim, I was not alive then. Really? I watched it in repeats. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember some of the 70s, but not 73. Ah, 74. What about you, Patrick? What was your exposure to Wonder Woman? Probably Super Friends, but also the Linda Carter Wonder Woman show. And then tons and tons and tons of DC Comics, especially probably in the 90s is when I got really into it. So Justice League and uh, Wonder Woman's own comic. 
in any of the crossovers where she always appeared. The crossover was the the main exposure. I think she was she was in like every crossover ever. <laughs> oh yeah, she's she's part of the big three. She's part of the the DC's holy trinity. So you can't really do like a a line wide crossover without including her. What about you, Vic? Um, I'll probably have a different experience from you guys, but like I've known about Wonder Woman my whole life. Um, I've got dark hair and blue eyes, so automatically as a kid, people would be like, "Oh, you're Wonder Woman," um, and then. Like, she was just kind of like the gold standard, you know, like an anthropologist and a babe and superpowers um, and made people tell the truth. And like, what more could you want? (laughs) An invisible jet. Well, that's okay. (laughs) She looked kind of goofy sitting up there like that. I don't know. (laughs) But um, yeah, I, I didn't have TV growing up. Um, So when I would go to my friend's house or we traveled a ton, um, I, I mainly just wanted to watch Teen Titans at the time. Um, I don't think Wonder Woman ever appeared on that, though. I don't think so. But she, uh, yeah, I mean, the Linda Carter version was what I always had in my brain until this movie came out or this series of movies came out. I think mine was probably, I definitely saw her in comic books because, like you said, she's one of the big three, but probably the justice league cartoons was probably when I really got full exposure to her, but known about her forever, but then didn't know like all the intricacies and everything I've seen super friends, but I, I don't know if I would say that was where I saw it first, you know, mm-hmm. like I've gone back and watched stuff as I got older, but it had to have been in the cartoons, like the animated adventures of like the justice league, like before justice league unlimited, like that small room they did before that was probably where I saw her in action besides maybe a couple comic books but i definitely didn't like i wasn't an avid i wasn't an avid comic book reader growing up but if i was it was always superman and obviously Mm. they come in to interact a lot so probably in a superman comic was the first time i saw her um but i definitely i can't pinpoint it. it's weird to think back on your childhood of like unless they unless they're a character that like defined who you are or something you know what i mean it's weird to go like when the first time that I see them, like, yeah, because some characters are so iconic that you can't really remember a time before knowing what it was. I I forgot about the cartoon Justice League until you guys just mentioned that. I think that's when Batman Beyond came out, and I got I got really into that. <laughs> did they ever have a Wonder Woman in that show? Like, did she ever have a? Because like in Batman Beyond, like like there's old Superman in Batman Beyond. There's other people that show up in the show. Like Static shows up in the show. Other people show up in that show as either older versions of themselves or like their what 50 years in the future version of their like replacement or their sidekick that took on the mantle. But I don't remember a wonder woman. It's a good question because I watched Batman beyond, but I definitely did not see all three seasons of it. So I have some gaps in in what I even remember about it. I don't remember a wonder woman. Cause there's been some interesting takes on wonder woman in those shows and in DC kind of like, alternative universes or mm-hmm. multiverses or like her not not her spin-off characters but her you know the her, not her progeny but you know what i'm saying like her sidekicks that become mm-hmm. their own heroes in their own right but i don't know if i've ever seen like a future version of her there's like there's a wonder woman fanatic out there just shaking their head their fists in the air at us right now oh totally someone is besmirching the name of diana 
What I would say is that like DCEU doesn't do a lot of things well. They don't do a lot of things right. They make some weird leaps and some weird character changes. They they did her really well. Like they brought her into the universe. You know, Gal Gadot. They brought her in exceptionally well. Her first movie was insane. Well, yeah. Maybe before we talk about eighty four, I'd like to talk yeah. about the first film a little bit. Like, what was for for you guys? What was your excitement level when the when the movie was announced, or going into it, or going to go see it? Did you see it in the theater? Absolutely. Excitement level was maybe seven thousand out of ten. Ooh. I think. <laughs> you just you just don't have that. I mean, all of the superheroes, Marvel and DC, it's so much testosterone, like just so much, and it's they're good and it's fun and it's a fun universe to be part of, but like. That just there isn't a movie where there's a female character who doesn't exist to support the male character. Like that's all the females do in all the superhero movies is support whatever the male's doing. Like even in conversation, like there's a there's like a principle. I don't remember what it's called. The Bechtel test. Yeah, the Bechtel test. Not very many superheroes pass it. Superhero films. Nope. So like having having a superhero movie with a woman who's like just the superhero. I mean, she could have even been its side. Well, the Bechtel test requires that you have two female characters and most superhero movies, even if they have a super female superhero, they only have one. So they fail. That's the test true. That's true. I guess. Okay. I have no idea what the Bechtel test is. So you gotta, you gotta explain that for uneducated folks. Oh, Tim, this is about to ruin television and movies for you. It, it won't. <laughs> yeah, so there must be two women. They must have a conversation with each other about something other than a male. And then... Um, it's like three minutes, right? Yeah, they have to, to be on screen for more than a certain amount of minutes, I think. And very few movies per year pass it. In general, not just superhero, but yeah. movies, period, tend not to pass it. Mm-hmm. And now you'll notice next time you watch, if two women are talking 90% of the time, it's about something to do with a man or a relationship or something like that. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. I mean, I don't want to hear a movie talking about the kitchen and cleaning supplies. I mean, uh, Patrick, can you cut that, please? I mean, it's so relevant. What products am I supposed to use, Tim? How am I supposed to know which bread is better? I don't know what products to use, but my husband brings them home for me, okay? <laughs> so would, oh no, they wouldn't. I was like, so would Power Rangers, the movie, it probably wouldn't even pass it either because there's, there's two females as Power Rangers, but I don't know if they're ever alone and talking on camera. When they talk about it, they talk about the other Rangers. It's supposed to be like them talking about what's going on with them or like just a storyline. <laughs> like, We're going to Angel Grove. Let's get to Zords. Like them talking about Rita. Unlikely. But not but not talking about her nails or some shit. Like, oh my god, did you see Rita's hair yesterday? <laughs> gross. Rita's hair is gross, in fairness. <laughs> she even used conditioner. She used to be a Green Ranger, but they took her powers away because she was slutting around. <laughs> is that true? I mean, that's what I heard, at least. Who knows? Not the slutty part. The Green Ranger part? I mean, I don't, you have to watch the movie. I'm not going to ruin it for you, even though it came out six years ago. I have seen the Power Ranger movie. I don't remember 
Kirby and Green Ranger. Stay on target. The, the remake, right? Yeah. Like the live action? Yeah. Stay on target. We're going to have to talk about this another time. <laughs> just, just to clarify what we have the rules uh, the, from the Bechtel test website, it has to have at least two female characters. They have to both have names and they must talk to each other about something other than a man or a man related topic, uh, like a personal relationship topic. But those are the only three, three rules behind it. No time limit. So if the two Power Rangers do have a conversation, it would count. Hmm. As long as it's not about another Power Ranger. <laughs> the new Wonder Woman movie would pass it, but I think you're right. The old one doesn't. It's just her. I mean, they're in World War II, right? World War II? World War One. One. Thank you. Yeah, women didn't exist back then. Well, no one fought. Wait, what? Did you say no women fought in World War One? Not on the American side. Am I about to put my foot in my mouth? Yeah, you are. Of course they did. We're not. This isn't a history podcast, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Women weren't allowed in the military till way later. What do you... Well, they were, they were nurses and doing all kinds of other stuff. Well, yeah, but Wonder Woman was on the front lines is my point. There wasn't... There wouldn't be like a frontline fighter. That that I thought that was the big thing of the movie is that like she's the only woman going into combat when kicking all these guys' ass. That's true. I feel like we just started a, a fight in the house and I don't like it. Yeah, you, you notice I haven't said a word in like two minutes. <laughs> I'm just going to slowly fade out here. Rolling back away. No, no I'm, I'm, I am saying this honestly. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. Women were allowed in the military in 1948. There you go. So that would have been well after World War One. But wait, in the beginning of that movie, but the like, she talks to her mom. She talks to her aunt. Would that count? Oh, so it might still pass, yeah, because it takes place. Themyscira is the be- entire beginning of the movie. Yeah, because she as as a child and as an adult, and they do not talk about men. Maybe ah. about how much they don't need men. <laughs> yeah. They came to the conclusion that men are essential for procreation, but when it comes to pleasure, unnecessary. Maybe, maybe the first movie, maybe the first half of the first movie passes. Yeah, it might. I was just gonna say that I it might pass for the first half because the, it takes place in Themyscira and it's all women warriors. So I, I bet that would pass the Bechdel test. Oh yeah, but this one doesn't, right? Movie two. Oh, it absolutely does. Because of Cheetah, yeah. right? But I mean, Kristen yeah. Wiig and, and Gal Gadot have a whole unscripted live I'm assuming conversation at a bar and I'm assuming it's just them two not in character just hanging out Gal and Chrissy having fun we're Gal and Chrissy and we're having fun isn't part of that conversation though about relationships not the whole thing she talks about yeah it's I think it still would pass because um they, they don't talk about like their loved ones specifically, I think it's more of like a generalized, it's not like about a man. It's like a generalized relationship. Well, like they were having a conversation about like their lives and themselves and it just came up if you're single or not. And then they kept going with the conversation. It wasn't the conversation about the man. So you're saying like Grey's Anatomy when they're just talking about McDreamy or McSteamy or whatever the fuck the guys are names, that doesn't count even though it's two females talking about their relationships or whatever. It's because they specifically talk about someone else on the show. Correct. Hmm, okay. Interesting. What were we talking about? 
uh, the Bechdel test in Wonder Woman 1 and how it would count because of the beginning. Well, the beginning of this movie was also pretty awesome. They're, they do beginnings really well. Mm-hmm. Every, everything, on, everything on Themyscira, I'm down for. That's why my background on Zoom right now is little Diana, because she kicked some serious ass. Cheating, but well, still kicked ass. Well, yes, but <laughs> she didn't win. There's still a good story there. But then once she left the island and went back to real world, everything went a little askew for me at that point in the movie. So about seven minutes in, I was lost. <laughs> How do you guys feel about the movie? It was at least 14 minutes. Give it some give it credit where it's due. <laughs> I'll give I'll I'll say 15 minutes in. I I will say on that note, I want an entire movie, not about Wonder Woman. About Antiope, is that the the main general trainer? Yeah, Robin Wright. Yeah, give me a whole movie about her because she sounds like a scarier, cooler, like Wonder Woman. You know, maybe a little too human. You are not an Amazon like the rest of us. Antiope is just gonna fuck some people up. Put her in the middle of World War II. I want to see her killing Nazis, like <laughs> throwing spears. Or January sixth, I guess one of the two. So at one point, Patty Jenkins had said she wanted to do uh, an Amazon's movie without Wonder Woman. I haven't heard anything about that in a while, so I don't even know if that's still been considered because now what she's, the, the latest is that she's going to do part three and that she has a story for part four and she doesn't know if she'll be the one doing it, but she thinks she'll wrap it up in four movies. But there was talk for a while of a Amazon's movie, which would be, I think, pretty cool. Well, and are they going to do another, like, is there going to be any other Wonder Woman spinoffs like the Justice League? I, I didn't see that, but I wonder if they're going to do another one. I haven't heard anything about any more Justice League movies in quite a while. So, Well, if we get an actual Flashpoint movie, then you get the Amazonians versus the Atlanteans, and Antiope could be badass in that movie. But that, yeah, that's if they actually adapt yeah. Flashpoint, which True. I don't think they're doing, which is sad. Which is stupid. Because that would be amazing. So Nick, are you familiar with the original Flashpoint, the comic story? The the most I know about it is what happened in the Flash TV show. Hmm. Oh, okay. That's that's the extent. I was always I knew Batman pretty well, but I, I was always Marvel, not as much DC. So so in the comic, uh, Flash goes back and and tinkers with time and changes some things, and so his his mom's still alive when he wakes up, and he realizes that the changes he's made. Bruce Wayne was killed and his father survived. So his father becomes Batman and he's like a a more brutal Batman. In my world, I'm a hero named The Flash. Bruce took me here, showed me. I used to be a doctor. Mention my dead son again and I will break out my surgical instruments. Atlantis is at war with the Amazons. So if they really adapted it, it would be awesome because you'd have, you know, you could have Jason Momoa leading Atlantis versus Diana's Amazon, mm. and they'd be totally different versions of those characters mm. before, of course, it all gets resolved. That'd be a wet dream for anybody. Imagine Jason Momoa with with the hand cut off and the fucking hook. Oh, yeah. It sounds like the movie they're going to do is like loosely based on that. And instead of going back and, and finding Thomas Wayne as Batman, he, he's going to encounter um, Michael Keaton's Batman. But it doesn't, it doesn't sound like they're keeping any of the Atlantis and Amazon stuff, which is a shame. 
because that was the cool part. Well, I mean, their flash is loosely based on who the flash is. So why wouldn't their flashpoint be loosely based on the story as well? Worst character in the DC. Talking about the Justice League flash was, was not a good representation. Worst flash representation in any form that I've ever seen. And I have nothing against Ezra Miller. I was actually all for him. I was like, that's dope. That's a great casting choice. But that's not Flash. No, he doesn't really resemble the comic Barry Allen at all. You know, they kept some of the stuff about his dad being in prison, but they didn't, just like the essence of the character, it didn't match up at all. This is a person who looks exactly like me, but who is definitely not me. We were talking about a different movie, I think. <laughs> but I mean, just to say how, the, how, they're, how, how DC Entertainment is handling these characters, right? It's like... Mm-hmm. I think they did super. I think Superman's way too OP. I think he's just overpowered like a motherfucker. But like he's handled pretty well. I was never on board with you know Boo for Batfleck. I I thought it was a great casting. I loved his barrel-chested Batman. Like I think that's great. Cyborg, eh, whatever. He's he doesn't really get enough screen time and he's too CG for me. But then it's like Barry's terrible and Diana's perfect. Like she's great. Just to bring it back to what we're talking about, they handled that character really well. Up until about minute sixteen of this movie, <laughs> and then things things get a little off the fucking rails. But you know, it was good up until then. Hey, we're gaining ground. Tim started at uh, seven minutes. Movie started seven minutes. Then we went to fourteen. Now we're at sixteen. We're gaining ground. I'm here. trying to give you benefit of the doubt because I don't remember exactly where it went off. But there were just there's just so many. I, I have so many issues with the movie that it's like, eh. but it's still it's still a fun movie. It's still entertaining, but. Just so many weird problems. Well, before we get into that, I, I'm kind of curious of like, like how excited were you going into it before it let you down? Based on you know, just based on the movie that came before it, were you did you have high hopes or did you feel like, well, it's a sequel? How good it could be? I'll say this: I love the '80s. I love the first movie. I love Gal Gadot. I was super. The the marketing came out for it. I'm like, hell yes! Like everything seemed great. Then I watched it. I'm like, what? What about why? What? But then, huh? Just it, there were po- points in the movie that just completely pulled me out of the movie. But leading up into it, like I would have been on there, I would have been there opening night. I would have watched it multiple times in the theater if it was, you know, COVID wasn't a thing. Like I was all, I was all in. It had my money when it got announced. You know, I think I had lower expectations going in, so I wasn't let down quite as badly. Um, I thought, I thought the '80s thing was a bit gimmicky in the trailers and in the promotional stuff being released. It wasn't a subtle 80s. It was like a definitely a nostalgia grab, I think, for a lot of people. Um, so I, I didn't have quite as high hopes, but I think the only thing that really disappointed me about the movie, because I, I liked how campy it was most of the time, um, but I was really disappointed in how she was dishonest to her character and her and to her motivations. I mean, like the, the scene where they're looking up the fireworks inside the jet, Everything leading up to that scene just made me angry. <laughs> and I hated it, <laughs> including that scene. I was so mad because, like, you have your target. You know where your target is. Stop dicking around in the closet. Like, I mean, literally and, you know, metaphorically, like, just stop dicking around and get to your target. Like, you're not playing dress up. We're not touring the museum. We're not going on a date. Like, we're getting to the target. Like, please go. And I think any other Wonder Woman in any other universe would be like, we'll go on a date after the bad guy is stopped. Bad guy is more important right now. But for some reason, she was just kind of in boyfriend land. And I don't think boyfriend land is very 
true to her character. Yeah, it wasn't authentic. Yeah. Like the first movie felt like Wonder Woman. Yeah. This movie felt like Wonder Woman needed a relationship a little too hard. I I was pretty excited for it until they announced it was going to HBO. And at that moment, I knew, I knew they weren't, they didn't have like the highest of hopes with this model because that every other film got pushed back except the movies that they thought wouldn't do super well and that they could write off because of COVID. I disagree because Warner put their entire catalog on HBO. Wonder Woman is just the first of the move. Yeah, like the schedule, the whole slot for the next year it has it. I think it's 16 right. more movies, right? Something crazy. I don't think they didn't have confidence in this movie. I think they were generally surprised with the way the reviews came out. I think that this was the this was the one they were going to move because they had delayed it so much and they felt like it was the one that could get people to sign up because there was so much hype and anticipation for it. I, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. If they had moved just this movie to, to HBO Max and they weren't doing their whole slate, then I would say, yeah, okay, they, they gave up on this movie. They didn't expect it to do well at all. I, I mean, I agree, but I, I, I think this is a bigger, bigger conversation. But the, I, I'm pretty sure, I'm convinced they're doing this because they don't think movie theaters are going to recover and that they're trying to change the model ahead of time. I agree with that, but I, I don't think it had anything to do with their confidence in this film. I think they're... Personally, I think they're very surprised by how it went, how it went, the, you know, how the, um, like the Rotten Tomato score started as soon as the critic score was high when like only the people had seen it in preview. And as soon as it came out, it just slowly dropped until it dipped below um, certified fresh into the rotten area. <laughs> I love that score. <laughs> certified fresh. Well, it, its release date never was changed. Like it was supposed to come out in December, no matter what. They were just, I think, hoping that it would be back in theaters. But then when it looked like nothing's going to happen, theaters are not maybe coming back or maybe not surviving this, then I could definitely see Warner needing to change its tune and try something new. Wait, it was supposed to come out in the summer. Because remember all the Doritos chips? It was scheduled for mm-hmm. Ju- 4th of July because the Doritos lineup was all 4th of July Wonder Woman stuff and there was no Wonder Woman movie. Um, the original launch date, I think it was 4th of July weekend. It might have been the end of June, but they pushed it back to Christmas originally. I just remember that because uh, on a marketing side note, the companies lost, I think, collectively over a billion dollars um, between the partnerships with Doritos. Is That's the only one I could think of. There was like four candy brands that were all doing marketing with Wonder Woman, and they pushed it back way after production for these things went out. So like you can get all of the branded candy bags months before the movie came out. I guess I know. My bad. Yeah. No, but I mean, they pushed it back, I think in June, they pushed it back to Christmas and then they didn't yep. move it again, which I was very surprised about when things were staying staying closed, um, which I guess, yeah, is that point that Patrick was making earlier. Yeah, it was supposed to be May because both um, Wonder Woman and Black Widow were supposed to come out in May. I think one at the beginning and one at the end. I mean, I think I think Victoria summed it up pretty well. It was just very campy, very like 80s in your face. But the campy isn't the bad part because I, I loved that shopping mall sequence in the beginning. Like that was super campy, superhero, over the top. I just, I really enjoyed the shopping mall sequence. But at, after that, it's not campy anymore. It's just kind of tacky, I think. Going from campy to tacky, that's some, that's some harsh words you're flinging. Well, campy isn't bad. Campy is, is cute. Like it's fun. It's... Jojo Siwa or whatever her name is, like, campy is like a 
style and it's, it's a lot of fun and it has its purpose, but it, it didn't, it didn't keep up with that purpose. I think. I think you just physically damaged Patrick with that face he made. <laughs> She's the definition of camp, Patrick. Jojo. Yes. Oh. <laughs> So from what I understand, the movie, like its intent was to be a love letter to the superhero movies of the 80s, like the original Superman series. And that's great, but that doesn't mean that it will translate to a current audience who are expecting something else, especially at a time when you we've had like 20 plus Marvel movies and almost the double digits on the, the DC movies. High bar. Yeah, very high bar. Yeah. And, and so to change the style, even if you're trying to do an homage to movies of a different time, it's dangerous. I didn't dislike the movie as much as most other people, but I think a large part of that was that the entire script got ruined for me about a year out. So I read something I instantly regretted reading. It was like somebody leaked, like this is the this is the plot. And like everything was like that was written about it was like, there's no way this is actually the plot. And I read it, I'm like, yeah, that's not the plot. And the trailer came out the next day. And as I'm watching the trailer, I'm like, oh, that leaked plot was correct. Cause everything that it hit was in the trailer. And I'm like, oh no, I think I just accidentally read the entire plot of the movie, including the ending. So by the time the movie rolled around, like, I guess I knew what to expect as far as the story. So I was just watching it. I was just kind of along for the ride and spent the last year trying not to spoil any of it for anybody that kept going, man, how does Chris Pine come back? I'm like, (laughs) wait and find out. Who knows? I don't know. It was, it was kind of like watching a movie that you've already read the book of. So you just know what's going to happen. And I think I probably would have been more let down if that was the first time I saw it. But I, I just just kind of enjoy the ride. Yeah, I I think I, I, I wouldn't say I was disappointed because I got to watch it from my couch. I think if I had done, you know, the original plan of you, you go to the movies, you go on opening night, you spend 40 bucks on popcorn and soda and candy. $40 and- on popcorn? How much popcorn are you buying, man? The big the jug and the big thing is so Well, and there's two of us. So... <laughs> But uh, I think I would have been a lot more disappointed with like, you know, my, my general movie hype of movie, movies used to be like a ritual. It used to be a thing before COVID. And now um, I, I don't think I was disappointed for that reason because I didn't get to do my movie hype anyway. But I felt like this movie pulled me in a lot of extremes uh, and it was there was a lot of surprises which I actually enjoy. It's not easy to surprise me in movies anymore. And I, I thought the surprises in this movie were phenomenal. Like how they brought Chris Pine back, I thought was really creative. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and I know people didn't, but I, I like that a lot. I, I think the biggest thing that I was so frustrated with is, is I mean, again, what Victoria said, that part where she wasn't authentic to Wonder Woman. <laughs> like, like Chris Pine was a total Chris Pine character. I thought he was exactly everything I loved about him in the first one. I thought he brought right here to this screen. I thought Gal Gadot did a great job as Wonder Woman herself for the most part. And then I thought the writing was really good. And it just, I think the thing that upsets me with this movie is that like it had good writing, it had good characters, it had good plot points, but they like didn't put the pieces together correctly. And the glue that was holding it is is what ruined the whole movie for me. Because I, I didn't think it was a bad story. I didn't think there were bad characters or anything. I just thought there were some parts where, like, I think they were trying to use it as introduction glue, like, to tie the, them together. That it was so freaking bad, it made the whole movie bad. Uh, like, the, the dressing scene in the beginning. Like, why did Chris Pine need to try on 30 outfits? Well, 
great. Maybe they needed some comedic relief. Maybe we needed to introduce Chris Pine. That was a dumb scene leading into an even dumber scene where like you're running from the U S government at a time where like, you know, stealth bombers were well in effect. Um, we're leading into the, the cold war. Like this, the U S government would not have been okay with that happening. And then immediately let's just chill and watch some fireworks. Like that was, that was the worst scene in any movie I think I've seen since 2010. Like that particular scene, not the whole movie necessarily, but the glue binding some of these scenes was just so god awful it took down the movie. What, you wouldn't leave a completely fueled up jet on the tarmac at a museum with the keys in the ignition? You know, let's just say I would. Let's just say we believe that. Where does this movie take place? Washington, D.C. Yeah. Washington fucking D.C. You think that someone's going to be okay with the president five miles away? And they're just going to be like, okay, cool. Like, guess a jet's gone. Like, no. Every jet on the East Coast would have been scrambled to shoot their asses down. And they would have done it successfully because they spent five and a half minutes watching fireworks. Well, do you think he would even know how to turn that fucking thing on? No. He, he was he was he was flying bipedal machines and shit where you had to fucking rev the engine and he, he would have never known how to he would have looked at all the, the buttons and gone I don't know where's the on button I don't know my my problem like so to your point like I think there's something that was interesting about kind of like a tonal shift like we've had so many dark DC movies and even even like uh, Suicide Squad which the marketing came out that it was going to be this fun and just like crazy movie it's pretty fucking dark. I was okay with like a let's have fun movie, but from the very get-go, I was off because in the timeline, you went from her losing Steve Trevor where she then pulls herself away from the world, right? In BVS, she's not part of man's world. She's not part of you know trying to save humanity. It's not until the very end, which when she's on a plane because she can't fucking fly, that we'll get to that in a second, but... She's on the plane and then she comes to the realization that she has to help. Like it's her duty to help. And then she goes and fights Doomsday and all that shit, right? But why why then do we have a movie where she's out in the open wearing a vibrant fucking suit, throwing her fucking hat tiara around like a boomerang and flying? When did she become Spider-Man? All of a sudden her lasso can do anything she wants it to do. Like it's just so, it's just, it took me completely out of the movie from that standpoint of like, wait. She's not supposed to, no one's supposed to know who she is. Why is she out in the open? Like if it had been, you know, something was going on and she's fighting from behind the, you know, behind the scenes or she's staying out of the spotlight, that'd be one thing because then it sticks with the continuity. That's a problem though. DC doesn't really care about continuity right now. Well, that's exactly it. But that was my issue. It's like, it's like, wait, hold on. You give her new powers and new abilities and new this and that and a new outlook on life. And she supposedly talked to the whole fucking world. But nobody knows who she is like 20 years later and she became a recluse again. Like she pulled away again and then not until Batman and Superman start fighting each other about Martha, then she comes back into the picture. Like it just didn't make sense to me at that standpoint. Not not to mention all the other shit. People don't know who Wonder Woman is in the, I need to go watch this movie next in Justice League. Batman and Superman don't know who she is. Remember they even have the funny line like, I thought she was with you. Nobody, she hasn't been out in the open like, the only time you see her in the costume up until the, her first movie is in the picture that Bruce has, right, of, of World War I that set up her side movie. But they don't talk about her as if she's a hero. 
she doesn't don her outfit until the very end. She's always in a ball gown or a dress or whatever, stealing files from Bruce and shit like that. She's basically pulled herself away from the world. And she has some sort of line. I can't remember what it is in BBS, but she's like, I realize I had to fight again. That kind of shit, right? And you realize once you see her her origin movie, oh, it's because Steve died. She said, fuck this world. Like, you just keep fighting each other. And I tried to save you against war, but it's really you and humans suck. So I'm out, right? But then once like a crazy big world ender comes around, then she jumps back into the fight. Except that she was at the mall fighting 20 years prior to that, apparently. She broke the cameras, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I would argue that like that, I thought that was, see, and I don't know the background of the comic book very well, but I, I thought that part was pretty well established Diane from the first movie where she was like, she wasn't doing it you know, she was being relatively secretive as much as you can be jumping in a mall in a bright, shiny outfit. So bright. But like broke the camera, covering her bases, like didn't show her face. The, the criminals saw it, but there's a couple of scenes where she like turns away as she's running from people so they don't see her. And it didn't feel like she was doing it for the superhero. She was doing it because she's like, well, you know, I got these powers. Might as well. Like I, I thought it matched the first movie. <laughs> If you're going to try to reconcile any kind of continuity, when you're looking at this movie, you can really only compare it to the first one as like a self-contained world. Because, you know, unlike they do with the Marvel movies, they really don't collaborate when they make these as much. Yeah. And Patty Jenkins has talked about like how much hand in hand went with Zack Snyder when he was making his movie. And it doesn't sound like a whole lot. And so I think at this point, she wants to make the movie she wants to make. DC's really not working with Zack Snyder anymore after this Snyder cut, it sounds like. At least that's what they're saying. And so they probably just told her, eh, make the movie you want. Don't worry about the continuity. And so I think as a viewer, then at that point, you have to go, all right, well, then I can't get too caught up in the continuity or I'm going to be disappointed. Well, and I, I get that. Which sucks. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's, yeah. Like, you know, you can't just go, eh, you know, that movie doesn't count anymore because we've already seen it. We've watched it. You know, it is, it's frustrating as a viewer. But I feel like if you're the filmmaker, it's also got to be frustrating to go, oh, you have this movie you want to make? Well, you can't do this and you can't do that because this other filmmaker used your character Mm -hmm. and already established this stuff in the future it's just kind of a mess it's part of the problem of putting movies out where the the stories don't take place linearly you know we're going to do this story that's in the present and then we're going to jump back to world war one and then we're going to do some more stories that are in the present and then we're going to go back to the 80s well whenever you do that it's the same problem that you can you sometimes run into in the star wars universe it's like well things have already been established that took place years after this that yeah you, you really can't have stakes. Like when you watch the solo movie, you don't have that big of stakes because you know that Han and Lando aren't going to die, right? No matter how much trouble they get into because we've seen them. And I feel like it's the same kind of problem here where whenever you're inserting in a movie somewhere in the middle of a continuity that's already been explored, you don't have those stakes and you have to explain away things. You knew going into this, well, Chris Pine can't still be around at the end of the movie, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? It was a mystery of how they're going to bring him back, but it was also a mystery of, well, then how are they going to get rid of him again? And if they make a third movie, are they going to bring him back again? Like, Because we know at the end of the first one, he's gone. And in the future, in Justice League and in, in Batman vs. Superman, he's not around. So I, I think you just you work yourself into corners that don't really make for, for great storytelling because you can't go any direction you want. You have kind of an ending place you have to get to. And sometimes that's fine because it's about the journey, but... A lot of times, you know, really it's, you want to be surprised and the movies can surprise you, but if you kind of know where it has to wrap up, there's, there's only so many surprises you're going to get. Yeah. That's a, that is a really good point. I found it funny when you said earlier, like she was dicking around the closet. Did you find it stupid at all <laughs> that she's, 
She's headed to the final battle and then she stops off to change her wardrobe. <laughs> I I didn't think that was stupid because I thought that that special armor served a purpose. But then it didn't. I, I thought the time would have been better served if she stopped off and got the armor instead of all of the other stuff that she'd been doing throughout the movie. Like if you had like a scene where she like gets the armor and connects with it instead of the closet and the museum and the fireworks, I think it would have been good. But it's just, it's one more, one more sidestep that I just, I don't, I don't know. When it's in a pile, I just, <laughs> it's so frustrating. <laughs> but I, I thought the armor was cool. I thought it was really neat. I do want to talk about your lasso thing that you brought up earlier, though, with the flying and the lightning. <laughs> do you think that... Because there is a lasso of lightning, but it's not Wonder Woman. Well, Wonder Woman does fly in the comics. It's not with a lasso. She was like gifted the power of flight from one of the gods. In the comics? So that is in the comics? Mm-hmm. She flies. Huh. She and Superman both can fly. So I don't know if they were just trying to get a way that makes a little more sense to what's already established in the films of how she would fly without reintroducing the gods to just say she figured out how to do it using the lasso. But they had introduced the gods. Well, I thought it was cool in the preview when she's like lassoing lightning and jumping through the air. I'm like, that's cool. But then when all of a sudden she starts spinning it and then she's like, whoosh, oh, I can, I can ride the currents. I'm like, no, no, you fucking can't. Don't do that. Like, and in the comic books, there's a, there's a side story where she gets, she wears that gold armor and it gives her the ability to fly. Mm. So why don't you just have her don the armor and then now she can fly. Don't do the lightning fucking you know, whooshy shit. Just give her the armor. Now she can fly to the final battle. And then you realize at the end, oh, it wasn't the armor that made me fly. It was my belief. And I can fly now at all. Like, you know what? That's fine. Or don't let her fly because she couldn't fly in the next two movies. But like that, that armor was supposed to be like, I forget the her name, but you know, their greatest warrior defended the Amazon's escape and, and held off the armies of the men. And then uh, a cheetah took it out. You know, it's like, what happened here? Hold on. Like, it got destroyed by cheetah, and she didn't really do much other destruction. So it was just weird. Like, it was, I feel like that whole thing was just for a toy. We got golden armor Wonder Woman so that whoever could sell more shit. And who would buy the action figure? Patrick. <laughs> yeah. Well, Patrick, you were just talking about stakes. Well, the, with this armor being torn to shreds by a cat, like... In the next movie, when you have the next big, big bad guy, the armor is going to be useless against it because, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the stakes are higher. So what's the point of the armor? Well, and I think that's the point that I was making earlier. Like they had, again, like the characters, the plot, the writing, like it all fit. The glue was shit. And they, I think they had to do that because they backed themselves into a corner because Cheetah was never supposed, from the research I did, Patrick, maybe you could back this up because I was very confused, but Cheetah was not born for Max Lord's wishes. And she specifically wished, I want to be the most powerful apex predator on earth. So that makes perfect sense that she can rip apart this, this armor. Maybe, you know, maybe not perfect sense, but you know, it makes more sense that she can rip apart the armor because she's the most powerful apex predator on the face of the earth. And that was the wish granted. However, like that's not Cheetah's actual background. And it seems like they're like, we got this golden armor. We got this powerful apex predator. Like, well, I guess this is how we'll stick it. She also got a second wish. Oh, that's true. I didn't even think of that. The fuck, man? 
She didn't let go of her first wish. She somehow got a second one. And Max Lord even tells his son because his son's about to say, I wish. And he's like, that's, you don't use your, your, your one wish. How did he, what, why'd she get a second wish? The wish came from the stone the first time and Max the second time. It, she, it wasn't a second wish. It was a second. You said second. You said second. Well, a second giver of the wish. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's not the same. It's not like, you know, the stone gives one wish and now Max can give one wish. That's how I took it. It's just, it, it's again, it's another plot of like, wait, what the fuck? Why is she? Because she was on a cool trajectory there. Like all of a sudden she put on some, some, some leather and some polka dots and shit and she's kicking ass. I'm like, cool. She's just going to keep becoming bigger and better. And then she's like, I wish. I'm like, no, you don't get a second wish. What the fuck? Everyone gets one. Max only got one. Like, why do you get another one? Like, and then out of nowhere, she's standing there in her leather jacket when Diana comes in. She walks outside and all of a sudden she turns into a fucking cheetah. You don't see the transformation. She all of a sudden just jumps off the roof and she's a fucking cat lady. It's like, what happened? We could have at least seen like werewolf-esque like transition. Like, I want to see skin ripping and her screaming and then all of a sudden she's fucking badass cheetah. Nope, we don't get any of that. She's just outside walking around. It's like, God damn it, again, you fucking failed me. What were you going to say, Patrick? <laughs> <laughs> what am I supposed to call it that? <laughs> I like the transition between things. The only thing I was going to say is that I don't, I don't mind so much that her Cheetah's origin was changed because in the comics, the origins get changed over and over. Again, especially the villains. Like they, The heroes kind of get one story that more or less stick to, but even, even Wonder Woman's story has changed over the years being made out of clay and then actually being Zeus's daughter and Cheetahs was close. And and what they have to do in all of these movies and Marvel does the same thing is, is kind of take the spirit of their origin and tie it into whatever's going on in the movies right now. Like, you know, I went into age of Ultron wishing that they had released Ant-Man before it, not after it. Cause technically the original Ant-Man creates Ultron. I'm like, Oh, they could have brought that in, but you know what? 20 movies later, it really doesn't matter. So you get the spirit of, of where it came from. So that part didn't didn't bother me that that her backstory was was changed. It stuck out to me too that she got two wishes when they had made it so clear when he was like running around the office going, did you already ask me for something? Made it pretty clear that you can't get another one. And I get that if she got one from the stone and then the second one came from Max, that they should have called that out at some point. As Tim knows, I've always said like... I don't care what rules you set up in the movie as long as you follow them. Mm-hmm. So you can do whatever you want as long as once you establish your set of rules for the universe, you stick to your rules. But what movies seem to fall prey to a lot of times is like, oh, second movie, here's some new rules we didn't tell you about the first time. <laughs> and this one seems to want an extra rule in the middle of the movie because it needed it, where I really don't think it needed it. They could have they could have had that be her first wish and just had the transition take a little while. Just like you know, Diana's powers slowly went away. It didn't, it didn't happen instantly. As you get more of what you wish for, like you make your wish and the more of it you get, you start to lose more. But um, it did seem like all of a sudden she gets two. Well, yeah, and with the wishes, like everyone else wish their wish, when it becomes negative, it's immediate. Mm-hmm. Granted, you could say that it's the stone because only Diana and, is it Barbara? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the only ones that wish on the, well, I guess I'm Max. They're the only ones that wish on the stone Everyone else wishes with Max. So it's like when when Max raises that fucking wall, right? It's like that didn't take it, – it wasn't a pebble first and then one inch and then a foot and then 10 feet. It was a fucking 100-foot wall or whatever. So you could say that their wishes are progressive. Like as you get what you want, you lose what's most important to you. 
but she could have kept progressing and then just all of a sudden hit that like exponential curve. And all of a sudden now she's like when like it would have been dope if she was human Barbara. And when she was fighting Diana in the white house, she took like a cat like stance and then all of a sudden fangs came out or something. Oh, that would have been cool. Her claws came so out. She was transforming during the battle. Yeah, like that would have been dope. But she was just, I mean, she was a badass. That whole scene is cool. But it could have been better in that like transition phase versus just, oh, I'll give you another wish and then we'll, we'll show it off camera. How would you have transitioned to Chris Pine coming in then? Because he just like appears. So how, how would that have transitioned? Hmm. Look, I don't have all the answers, okay. <laughs> so there's there's something that I think we're, we're missing that, see, I can kind of see, especially with the Second Wish perspective, I can kind of see where they're coming from because there's a, a very specific line when her and Chris Pine are going through Max's office and she sees the inner ring of the Dreamstone base and freaks out, but she says that this was made by the, the gods um, and this god is nothing but tricks or she he's, she says something about trickery and i, I looked it up Loki. and the god that makes the stone is known for treachery and mischief and that's i i think what they were going for they did a bad job on it obviously but i think that's what they were going for is when the stone was granting wishes it was the embodiment of this god of treachery and mischief so you don't see the immediate effects because that's the mischief part and like every movie and, and culture shock ever made. Whereas the difference is when Max took the ability, Max was taken. The intent was not treachery and mischief. The intent was an exchange. I'll grant your wish. You give me what I want immediately. And I, I mean, I think that's also why Barbara gets two wishes because it was two different grantors um, that did it. And Max only got one wish. He got his only wish came from the stone. Everything else that Max said was a take. It was an exchange. Um, and I think that's why they did like the gradual pieces versus Max was kind of immediate chaos. I'll buy that. Yeah. I mean, I think they implemented it very poorly, but I, I remember that scene distinctly, and I think that's why. Well, I did like that. He was like, every every time he's granting a wish, he's getting a little bit more destroyed himself. You know, his eye, he had that burst blood vessel and then he's bleeding out of his nose and he's, you could see it's destroying him until he gets to that stage where he's granting all these wishes on a worldwide stage. But he's like, I'm taking this from you. I'm taking your life essence. I'm taking your, your youth. And then you see him like, like he just did a bump of Coke. He's like, hello, baby. Like he's totally <laughs> fresh. The eye, bloodshot eyes are gone. He's totally back to normal. It's like, okay. He's like. The suspender thing that he does slowly. Yeah. I like that. I like that a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was such a great character. Just that ending was just so weird, too. Like, she talks to the whole... Does anybody believe the world would have given up? Those, like, come on. Selfish fucking world. And my problem, again, is that you're inserting this movie into the 80s. And so now we have to believe that in all the other movies, this giant world-changing event has happened that there's never a reference to or, or anything. It, it would have worked better for me if it was a present-day movie or a future movie that, like, oh, here's this thing that happens where we are now and we're going to build upon this in the future like all movies we make after this have to take into account that this thing happened and the whole world was changed and there's obviously no reference to it because the movies were made before but it's so bizarre when you insert something that huge retroactively in dc in dc i think that's what pisses me off the most yeah no way none of that would have been captured in dc maybe in bodunk in indiana <laughs> like well, and that's one of the things I thought, like, okay, when Max eventually gives up his wish, first off, did he go to jail? Did, did the whole world see him do all this shit? And he, 
He's just running around with a kid. That was the thing that was missing. I kind of thought it was going to end with, and then no one remembered. Yeah. You know, it's the only way they could got away with it. But I'm also tired of that. And then no one remembered anything. It's like, all right, well. It was all a dream. Yeah. This happened in the Pokemon movies. (laughs) What transpired here, I will always remember. But perhaps for you, these events are best forgotten. Well, see, and I was kind of hoping the opposite that, like, when they got to that point and he runs away and there's the stone, like, she'd wish it all away or something, right? And like, she would, and and by doing so, she'd lose the memories that she had made with with Steve. And we'd basically be at step one again. We'd be at the very beginning of the movie, but without Barbara and without the stone. Like, the stone doesn't exist. But she's like, where am I? I don't know where am I. Where am I? See, I, I would have been fine if if she erased everything. I would still want her to be able to remember. Or what, what's the point of even having the movie? Exactly, exactly. What's the point of the movie if she can now fly, but then she loses the ability to fly? All I'm saying is they didn't kill Cheetah, but they killed Cheetah. Well, they did the the thing that the superhero movies I hate when they do is they introduce. The, like the arch nemesis, and by the end of the movie, they're either dead or depowered, so we can't use this anymore. Cheetah's her number one nemesis yeah. in the comics. You know, if if we're only going to see Wonder Woman in standalone Wonder Woman movies, then I don't mind. You can bring in new villains, but if they are going to build a world and they want to keep using it, and they're going to build like the Legion of Doom, like they hinted at the end of, of uh, Justice League, well, then you should have the Cheetah as part of that. So... That was disappointing to me. And I was wondering that throughout the movie because I couldn't remember the ending from the thing that I had read. I, the one thing I couldn't remember is, is what happens to, well, to two things. I couldn't remember what happens to Max and I couldn't remember if Cheetah gets reverted back to Barbara. But I just felt like, how are they going to do this where everybody gives up their wish and reverts and somehow she gets to keep hers and stays the Cheetah? Looks like you're caught before you even got started, Cheetah. I did really like a lot of the cinematography in the Wonder Woman movie. I loved the use of color, especially. I thought it was a very visually pleasing movie. Yeah, I was disappointed to not be able to see it in the theater for some of the big scenes. Yeah. I thought it would have looked really cool. I do want to go back to what you were talking about earlier, about how everyone is just expected to let go of their wishes, even if the world is burning around them because of it. (laughs) This is why I think the 80s thing was just a nostalgia grab because they did not take into account 80s culture, which is like the height of consumerism and cocaine and screw over the little guy and Trump Tower being the epitome of success. It just, it doesn't take any of that stuff into account. Greed is good. Which is weird because they said that's why they based it in the 80s. Yeah. But I feel like that didn't ring true through the ending. No. To ask everyone to reverse their wish, some people's wishes were not that big and they may not have even seen the negative impact it had. Like the guy that wished for a cup of coffee, is he really like, oh no, I have to give my cup of coffee back? (laughs) (laughs) Did it matter if they didn't though? Did she just need Max to renounce? Everyone had to reverse. I I thought that was like to drive Max to to renouncing his so that it would decrease his power. I read it as everyone needs to renounce their wish. And that's why she was kind of like broadcasting through him to everyone. And that miraculously, not a single person said, nah, I think I'll keep my wish. I liked my cup of coffee. Yeah. I took it as everybody. Yeah. I think it would have worked better if she only had to convince him, but they said that either everyone renounces their wish or we have to kill him. And I was like, Oh, I guess they're going to kill him. Cause then that other ending won't make any sense. <laughs> There's no way that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. 
for me, it probably would have worked better if they had set that up. And then it turned out that by him renouncing his own, it undid it all. I could have bought that. Mm -hmm. That if she convinced him, then maybe by him renouncing his wish to be the stone, it undid everybody else's wish after that point. Which they could have then found a way to leave the cheetah in. Yeah. Good point. <sighs> yeah, there's too many, too many holes. I just, I, I feel like it was a good individual effort. Is there's just so much that they didn't tie at all. They like didn't even try to tie. Well, I just feel, also feel like when it comes to movies where if you don't make a billion dollars, you might not get to make another movie. You can't screw around and say, we want to do an homage to another time in filmmaking because it, it just might not work. With the exception of Taika Waititi, when I think when he did Thor, I think that was a brilliant interlude and perfect. But uh, yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say is that when you when making movies, you, you have to focus on the bottom line. So there's no space in the budget for interludes. And my experience of comics comes from anime. It's the same thing. My favorite anime episodes were always the ones where, or in the manga was always the beach episode. There's always a beach book or episode no. where everyone does interludes and they do something ridiculous and completely out of character. And it's so much fun. And then they all go back to normal in the next book. And you can't do that with multi-million dollar films because there's just... There's too much money at stake, which I think is kind of sad. And I think that the, the Taika Waititi example worked for him also because it wasn't the follow-up film. It was the third following a movie that wasn't very well received compared to the other Marvel movies. It wasn't fun. People didn't enjoy Dark World nearly as much as the first Thor or the other Marvel movies. So it was a way to like, okay, we need to bring somebody in and shake this up or we're just not going to make Thor movies anymore. So I think in that way it worked. Mm -hmm. Part of what works so much about Ragnarok is that you've established him as such a serious character. And then you can have fun with him after showing him a couple times in two movies in Avengers and then, then do something fun. So maybe if they had done something a little more silly with Diana further down the road. There's, there's so much pressure. Well, maybe if we got like a really dark sequel and then it's like, oh, you know, we need to have some fun with this character. It was a little too heavy. But they went straight to it. Yeah, but I don't even think that was their intention, which is, I, yeah. I think, the most upsetting. Like, Taika went in to be like, let's shake things up, let's make it fun. And, like, Dark World, I, I didn't like Dark World very much, but I, I thought it was, you know, pretty good. Like, it was a good sequel. It was a great sequel. And there's so much pressure with sequels, like you were saying earlier, like, like Victoria was saying earlier. Um, you, you've got to do well on the sequel, and it either has to be, like, a bad sequel or a good sequel before you can have creative freedoms. Because I mean, with, with Ragnarok, it, it literally could only go up like at, at some point. Cause every, you're right, everyone was pissed. It wasn't a great situation. With Wonder Woman, I don't think that was their intention. This might've been, maybe if they had changed some elements, especially with like the clothes scene, uh, uh, different outfits, this might've been a fun semi-comedic relief. Let's show a less serious side of Diana. But like, this was the sequel, and I don't think they meant for it to be even taken that way. It, yeah, it just it they they just dropped the ball, and they they didn't mean for it to be compared to Ragnarok. I think, uh, I think that they it just is because of of where the plot laid, where where it came out. <laughs> they wanted this to be that powerhouse sequel, and I think you can see that in the cast too. I mean, Thor makes sense; he'd already been Ragnarok came out after the Avengers, like. It had a big cast, of course, but typically movies like that is going to have the main character, one other big character, and then a bunch of brand new characters. They pulled a big casting budget for 1984, especially because Pedro Pascal is now at arguably the height of his career with everything he's getting signed for and doing. And I, I don't think they wanted this to go down as like a 
as it is. I guess all I meant as far as like making a different type of film is how they've talked about how this was a love letter to the, the, the superhero movies of the 80s. And I just don't feel like that was the right move. I'm like, you know what kind of tone people liked about the first one. Stick with what worked. Don't remake the first movie, but keep it in that same lane. You know, I was thinking about it. And as much as I said that the kind of like how big the ending was and everybody in the whole world was affected by this and, and the problem with putting that in the past and then you've made movies that take place in the present that don't, don't address that. I also don't feel like you could have made that movie if you had put it in current DC timeline because you run into what I always refer to as the Superman problem. How do you make this movie in a timeline where Superman exists, but he doesn't show up, right? He's just, he's just going to sit this one out. So yeah. Marvel gets away with it because their version would, the closest thing they have would be Thor. And it's like, well, he's off planet or Captain Marvel's off planet. But I feel like maybe the, the best thing to have done was make it smaller, keep kind of the tone of the first movie, but yeah doesn't have to be the entire world's at stake it could be of something smaller at stake but then you could convince me that the whole world didn't know who she was or never saw her or didn't remember her or didn't remember the incident and all that kind of stuff maybe only uh, you know a town is at stake still people it doesn't always have to be the entire world to be a blockbuster yeah which i mean is the same problem i had with the new doctor who episode i was literally just gonna say that <laughs> every single doctor who episode where we're in right now is the world's gonna end the world's gonna end the world's gonna end and you're like no it's it's not gonna end guys yeah. humanity as a race is not gonna fall apart today it's not and it won't tomorrow either i would love to see a superhero movie where they don't save the day I would love to see the aftermath, like the snap. You should have gone for the head. And then you see actual consequences. I would love to see that, but I, I'm sick of the whole trope of the world's going to end. Like, well, it's fucking not. It's not going to end. I, I agree. I liked the outcome of the snap, and the mm -hmm. snap doesn't get rectified until the last 15 minutes of the movie. Like, I really enjoyed seeing the consequences. And they could have done that here instead of the stupid, the lasso somehow got through and I can talk through. They totally could have done like, okay, you know, maybe no one knows who Wonder Woman is. And now she has to operate in a world that is back to normal because Max renounced his wish. But back to normal is in like not actively falling apart. But like the White House was compromised, like planes crash, like the destruction that we saw is still there and and that's how Wonder Woman blends back in because she's you know inconsequential compared to what's going on in the world right now. That would have been a great ending. We've been rewatching some of the Marvel movies after rewatching Age of Ultron and then going into Civil War going wow okay they really did fail in Ultron. Like they beat Ultron. But then so much of everything that happens between that and Infinity War is the team breaks apart, the governments don't trust them, all of this stuff because of the destruction that happened in that movie. Yeah, you beat the robot at the end of the movie, but you didn't win. People died. The world had a different feeling about the Avengers than they did after the first Avengers movie. And they dealt with that in the next movies. It wasn't just back to business as usual in the next film. We have not seen that in, in DC yet. What would you call a group of US-based enhanced individuals who routinely ignore sovereign borders and inflict their will wherever they choose and who, frankly, seem unconcerned about what they leave behind. What happened after Justice League was, was the next thing was really just Aquaman and Shazam, right? Like, there's no consequences from, from what had happened. Yeah, side stories. But see, that, that to me is the epitome of DC versus Marvel. DC has always been gods amongst men. Marvel has also always been men with and women. <laughs> but humans trying to make it through being 
godlike, but not gods. We talk about the the big three, and even Batman is the world's greatest detective and the world's greatest martial artist. And in all the comics, there's multiple comics where, like, I remember reading Superman's, like, I've never seen a weapon that Bruce didn't know how to use. It's like, the fuck, man? He's he's not that old. Like, he doesn't have all that many hours in the day. Like, but they always make him like bigger than bigger than anything. I mean, in Man of Steel, they fucking blow up cities. They they're fighting around and destroying cities like 9-11 style. Like they take out multiple buildings. There's the World Crusher or whatever the fucking thing is, the World Engine or whatever that like destroys India and destroys uh, Metropolis. And like it's just crazy. Like mm-hmm. but then to your point, nothing happens the next day. Yeah. You know, oh Batman's mad at Superman. Like, but then they still built Superman a fucking statue. <laughs> like, it's just weird. Whereas, to your point, in Marvel, like, you immediately deal with the ramifications. And they even, in the subsequent films after the snap and after snapping everyone back, you still have films that are talking about what's going on with them afterwards. And you feel the ramifications all the way down to the little guy on the ground. They called it the blip. Those of us who blipped away came back the same age. But our classmates that didn't blip had grown five years older. Yeah, like my little brother is now older than me. Yeah, it's math. I, I feel like that could have made this whole movie a lot better if there were if they had just left any amount of consequences for us to see instead of just Well, and and I guess that's the problem, is because again, you've inserted this before two other two four other movies. No, five if you count Suicide Squad. Like all these other movies have already come out. So unless you're planning to do another Wonder Woman that comes right after this and addresses those, you, you've written yourself into a corner where you can't have consequences. Like you can have this big story, but you've got to put everything back together the way it was at the beginning by the end. And that's what I don't like. It, you're not really moving the story forward. You know, you're having a story for Wonder Woman, but it impacts the whole world, yet the world didn't change at all by the end of it. I think it's only so glaring because the whole first sequence is about Diana experiencing consequences for her actions. Yes. And it's like, that doesn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. And doesn't she make, say something like, I'll never make that mistake again or something like that. The only way I guess that ties it in is when she does give up on her wish is you can't cheat, but it, I don't know. It just, it didn't in the end, that part of it didn't work for me. But her, her keeping or giving up her wish isn't about cheating or cutting corners, which is what she did when she was a kid win at all costs yeah exactly um like you can't have both worlds really is what that was about well i mean maybe it was just about getting what you want regardless of the cost but i'm just not sure what 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 connection they were trying to make there that that i didn't really see pay off in the end Mm-mm. well and i keep saying it but that i feel like is where they failed because they had everything you need in a good movie they had the characters the plot that everything you need in a great movie this movie had but they, they failed at putting them together in every sense of the word. The, the connections to, to them just didn't make sense. And I, I think that's why this movie's sticking with me so much is because I've never seen this before. On it, if anything, like this, this movie will go down in my head as, as a landmark for this. Is I've, I've just never seen a movie that I've watched and literally had nothing bad to say about anything specific uh, outside of some of the scenes we've talked about. But I mean, like, they cast it amazingly. It was a good story, aside from these plot holes we're talking about. Like, it was a good story, isolated in this movie. They just messed up some things. But they did a very bad job of, like, connecting them all and, and really polishing it. 
And I've never seen that before in a film. And I, I think it's very interesting, if anything. Because <laughs> normally I could be like, that actor sucked. That character sucked. This, you know, the story sucked. <laughs> like, can't really say that about Wonder Woman. There's things I would have loved to see different. There's things they did bad. But nothing sucked except for how they put it together to me. And that cast, the actor lineup was fantastic. Chris Pine, Pedro Pascal, Gal Gadot. Like, damn. Kristen Wiig. Even the president was famous. It was a good lineup. You know, I was thinking about movies that, or a franchise that's gone and inserted a movie in a previous time period and done it right. And I feel like Marvel got it right, at least in my opinion, with Captain Marvel. And that we went back to the 90s. We showed you stuff you didn't know had happened in our established timeline, but they did it in such a way that the story was big. There were aliens involved, but the whole world didn't know there were aliens involved and the whole world didn't see her. And so then when you go and watch the other movies, it's plausible that no one but, you know, basically Nick Fury and a few others even know she was ever here. And I think that that's what they that's one of the things, at least for me, that they, they missed and, and should have tried to implement because I'm still excited for the third movie. I, I hope it's in modern day, which apparently is the plan, because then I feel like there's real stakes and that what happens will matter and will shape the future of the DC universe. You know, I, I feel like when you're going to go back in time and insert something you've got to show us something that we didn't know about the universe that will change the way we view the universe even on rewatching the other movies without making us go wait okay wait a minute how could that have happened and then this happened this doesn't add up anymore but if you do it in such a way that you're watching and going oh okay the way they did it with the first captain america movie went back in time captain marvel did i feel like there's at least one other that i'm forgetting and then they even did this with wonder woman it's like she shows up in Batman versus Superman and then we back up and find out, okay, she was here all along and she dropped out and that they made it work there. So I am ready for them to take this character and move it into present day, at least in their timeline, whatever year that happens to be. So the, the things that happen in the movie matter, you know, because when they insert her in world war one, they put her in a story. We already know, we know how world war one ends. It's not like at the end, she changed the ending of the war. Um, but then they insert her into the 80s and all of a sudden there was this giant world-changing event that, that's never been talked about again since that the people didn't forget, yet don't talk about. So I'm ready. I'm really ready to see her again in a movie, but in the present and make it matter and figure out a way to keep Superman out of it so that it's about her and doesn't make... You're not sitting there going, well, then why doesn't Superman show up and save the day? So, you know, you can do something big, but maybe on a scale that's just her, just, just her problem, just something she's dealing with. Patrick, they can't do that because then they'd be talking about a man and it's going to fail the Bechdel test, so. <laughs> I want to know what Max, what his ultimate plan was after he has all the power from granting all the wishes. Like, what was, what do you guys think his end game was? Like, was he going to get, like, a throne and sit in it for a while? And have a bunch of babes by a pool. Like, was he? Like, what? I I th I wish I knew what his plans were beyond like one, have all the power and all the money. Two, everyone else deals with the consequences except for me. Like, I just I want to know where that was going. I guess I felt like that's why they chose the '80s as a time to to set this in. Is like that was the ultimate time of just pure greed for greed's sake. And then you didn't really have to overthink what his plan was. He just, <laughs> he didn't have money and he wanted money and he wanted more money and then he wanted power. And 
it's that classic 80s superhero movie where that's really all the villain wants, like all, all the Superman movies with Lex Luthor. I was just going to say that. Lex Luthor, the greatest criminal mind of our time. You know, I just want to have money and I want to have power. And and by, by planting it in there and making it an homage to those films, you didn't really have to give the villain any kind of motivation. There really wasn't a whole lot there. I think that's a good point because they, they made him this like melodrama villain from the 80s, but forgetting that current media consumption culture, we want our villains to have redeemable qualities and we want our, our heroes to be flawed. And we see that in movies all the time now and in literature, like stuff being made today, not in the 80s. And I don't think audiences today are satisfied with one-dimensional characters. Like even on social media, like the one-dimensional people and one-dimensional characters on social media and TV, they just they don't cut it anymore, and they don't they don't bring in the ratings. So they could have they could have done a lot of things, but fleshing out the villains, one of them. Well, and I think Pedro Pascal, to his credit, did a really good job portraying that because there were Absolutely. several scenes that showed that he he like doesn't have a plan. Like in the president's office, he's like on his way out. Hey, what's that? Oh, this is now a major plot point. Like, we're going to do the satellite thing. And, uh, I mean, getting to the president, he... <laughs> getting to the president, he, like, had a nosebleed. And he's like, oh, I just need to grant more wishes. Who, you know, who's going to the most the best person to take wishes from? Oh, the president. Like, I, he does a really good job of, like, thinking five minutes ahead. And Pedro Pascal does a great job of, of executing that, where nothing he does in the entire movie which is the core of his character. I mean, he's running a scam into the ground. That's the whole point of his business. This is the way. This is the way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything he does does like five minutes ahead. Every single thing, except getting the stone. That's the only pre-planned thing he does in the entire movie. And once he has it, makes his wish, everything after that is like, well, YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't have that expression yet in the 80s. Yeah. Carpe I think there's a few tweaks they could have made that could have made some of the things work. The idea that she's just been lonely since he died. I almost felt like it would have been better if, if she had tried dating other men and nobody lived up to him. Or like, why does she need a man at all? Well, yeah, there is that. <laughs> like, why is she what, pining? <laughs> pining over Chris Pine. Shit, I'm pining over Chris Pine. Come on now. I know, all of us are. I am above average. She could have been doing anything else besides being sad. And it's dishonest mm -hmm. to her character that she would just be sitting there sad. Yeah. Like if she's being a hermit, like if she's like Cersei on an island right now, just turning men into pigs, like that's cool until a really big bad thing happens. And then she flies in to help out Superman and Batman and then, you know, goes back to her Cersei island. But if she's just sitting there in a museum being sad and staring at a watch piece. And that's it's it doesn't make sense for her character. She ran a cattle ranch or something, apparently. What? That's cool. In, in the movie, they have like they keep going to her her in the farm. Multiple times they show the photo of her in the the Trevor farm. You remember that? Oh my god, you're right. I don't remember that. It's the photo behind the watch. I gotta go look at that. Why does the watch all of a sudden move when he comes back? Is that his time restarting? Oh <gasps> <gasps> <laughs> counting down? <gasps> Dun, dun, dun. Wasn't there like a gust of wind every time someone got their wish granted? So yeah. maybe the wind was. Blowing I did it. hear. I did hear a little bell every time there was a wish. A little bell went off. I thought it was angels getting their wings, and then Diana got her wings. It was 
whole kind of mash over, but no. I think this is part of how they had a poor execution because um, you guys are saying a lot of like, why was she in hiding and why was she just sitting there pining? And I, I mean, I, I thought they explained that. I thought they just did a bad job of it, but like she was never in hiding. Like she wasn't like sequestered away. She was living her life and being a superhero. She's just not doing the flashy flash Batman Superman thing. She, she was, it was established that she's doing the superhero thing because even before the mall scene, they talk about like that mysterious savior um, that nobody knows anything about. And so I, I don't, I never felt like she was hiding. She was just being low key. I do agree with the whole, I, I mean, I think they only put in that, like I'm sad and depressed part to set up why she gets distracted when Chris Pine gets back. But I would have liked if they had just been like, a little better of an explanation for the distraction. I think they just tried. Like, it feels like they tried and they just didn't get it. <laughs> well, yeah, I just, I guess I feel like instead of I'm closed off to, to people because no one can live up to him. Like if you look at it in the first movie, this is a guy she knew for a couple days. Right. And then he dies. Yeah. I was like, he wasn't even that cool, but they could have played up the angle of because she's of a different time. And she's so much older that dating men that are the age she appears to be, she just doesn't connect or, you know, doesn't get it. Like she's of a different time. The first person from man's world that she met was a, a war hero and, you know, whatever, something they could have gone down that road and then just showed her like with the typical young man of that time and just been like, not into it. doesn't have to be sad. And then he comes back and then you get a second chance at someone that because it was the first person from man's world that you met, maybe you, you had put on a pedestal and addressed it that way, rather than just be like, I'm sad Wonder Woman and I'm waiting for my man to come back. Because that didn't seem like her character at all to me either. Yeah, a lot of times in the comic books, it's like it's it's kind of the reverse. He refers to her as like his angel, and he just will do anything for her. And she's just like, I'm part of the Justice League. I got stuff to do. I, you know, I'm going to go on this mission. <laughs> and he's always following her. Well, and this this is something though that I think that this is where they tried is that all of that you're you're right, and all of that makes sense. But she's like hella lonely, and the only person that she's able to been able to connect with with humanity was this guy she met for five days who knows her for who she is. And now she's back in, I don't want to say hiding because I don't really think so, but she's like low keying it. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's been, I mean, that's a big point. It's been 60 years that she hasn't mm -hmm. had anyone to be herself around. I wonder if the story of bringing Steve back and how that affected her would have worked better as a third movie with a movie in between that he's not in and we get to see what her, what her life is like. And yeah. you can kind of explain what it is about him that she misses and not just like, Oh, it's the first guy I met and look at him. He's dreamy. Yeah. That was, I think the biggest issue I had with the whole movie. And I get like, you want to make it a big deal that you bring him back, but it would have had a bigger payoff if they skipped a movie before they brought him back. Cause it doesn't feel like 60 years have gone by. If you're watching the movies in order, he was here 20 minutes ago. Right. Yeah, that's true. Did they bump Buglies? They smushed booties. They did. did they? Mm -hmm. I remember the kids and stuff. In the uh, the little town that they were dancing in, in the first movie. That they destroyed. The <laughs> yeah. Destroy our tower. Thank you for breaking all of our shit. I guess we'll give you some wine. <laughs> and we'll play a tune. Is this what people do when there are no wars to fight? Yeah. Yeah, this and other things. What things? Um... Does, did anybody have, I didn't personally, but I know I saw stuff online. Did anyone here have any issues with the fact that she's banging Steve, but in someone else's body? I mean, it's kind of rapey. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a little weird, right? I'm sure the other guy didn't mind. I mean, did you see what he was wearing? <laughs> Do you think he was in there? Like he had flashbacks and that's why when he saw her on the street, he's like, you seem familiar. Or he was having a get out experience where he was just sunken deep in there trying to... Uh. <laughs> Sink into the floor. Wait, 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 wait. Sink. Yeah, I did think that was... I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I liked how they brought Chris Pine back. I thought that was interesting. I thought it was creative and very weird. But man, it's got some weird undertones. Mm-hmm. Well, and not to mention that, like, that guy's life is fucked. Like, they attacked the White House. There's no ramifications. We've already been over this. The jet was invisible, even though she's on security cameras and she used her code to get in. She didn't steal it. She was just walking around. Someone else stole it at the same time. Yeah. The invisible jet was great fan service. When she got to the jet, I was like, he motherfucking can't fly this thing. Then they started going. Then she's talking about invisible. I'm like, oh, invisible jet. Yes, that's awesome. But then it made no point. Nobody blew that fucking thing out of the sky. How did it have gas in it? You don't fucking store jet fuel in, in, inside a plane for 20 years. There's just so many little things I'm like, come on, man. I feel like they could have found a better way for them to steal a jet. Yes. That would have believed that the jet was ready to go. Yes. I did like the way they introduced, because I was kind of wondering, like, how are you going to bring in an invisible jet and make me believe it in the universe that you've created? But since it's already established that Themyscira was invisible to the world, then I was like, okay, they're doing that. I'll accept that. It works in the established rules of the universe. So I didn't have a problem with it. But yeah, they just walked out and took a jet. I'm like, uh-huh. Okay. What about when she's she's in the car and they're they're chasing after it and then she, she gets out of the car and she's running next to it, then all of a sudden she's wearing her outfit? I'm like, were you wearing fucking armor underneath a fucking pantsuit? Like what just happened? You don't even she didn't even like spin around real quick and turn it. She's just running next to the car and all of a sudden she's wearing her fucking outfit. <laughs> Okay, cool. All right. I think she was. See, and this, I can buy into, like, with the jet scene, I can buy into that. You know what? Some some guy parked a jet in a museum, forgot to empty the fuel tank. Fine, I'll accept that. But to introduce the invisible jet, they park it. It's presumably lost forever because now it's invisible and they got out of it. And one of them was like, okay, I'll just have to learn to fly now. Like, that's where I got upset, where it's just like, why would you even give me the jet? If you're just gonna spin your rope in a circle and fly, <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, I had to make up the whole it's parked and lost forever because now it's invisible. <laughs> it's the fan service. That's the only reason. It's the same reason why you have the mid credits with Linda Carter. It's like, what well, was okay? She's alive, cool, but wait. <sighs> Linda Carter, that was the Amazonian who's the armor. She was the yeah, she was the original armor person, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but why why did why was she there? Only to basically say, hey look, Linda Carter. Like, it's only fan service. She unless she's gonna come back, I just don't see that happening. That she's gonna play a part in the next movie. It's just to say, like, oh, she survived. That's because that's another thing. You found the armor. Did you find her body? You didn't find her body in the armor. Okay. Okay. So did the humans eat her, but leave her armor? Why did you just find armor and went? We found our. She sacrificed her, but she's not here. She's running around somewhere. It's just one of those again, another plot of like the fuck. Like, well, how does that make sense? Yeah. And it's not that like, oh, we found this armor and I had to take it away from a museum or some shit. She's just like, we recovered the armor. Recovered. Huh? Like how? I ask the questions now. Wonder Woman. 
Tim had kind of mentioned, like, why do this one with Superior back in another movie? I would like to know. Let's let's work off the assumption that they make two more, and then that's it. What would what would you guys like to see happen in those two? I think my answer would have been different before this conversation, but after this conversation, I would want the movie to be somewhere between Justice League and 1984. And I want like Wonder Woman to be doing community service or she's working with the government or like something that acknowledges the major plot holes we've established from the end of this, where like now she is known and she has to fly around the world and wipe the hard drive of every government in the world or something like that. Like I would love to see some transition point that explains everything they messed up in 1984 um, without Chris Pine, even though, I mean, I saw Wonder Woman for Chris Pine. I will be totally honest. Well, the next movie is supposed to take place in present day. So, Zay, what would you want to see in a Wonder Woman 2023 movie? I think it's 2022 or 2023, something like that. Like, if it takes place in that year. Wearing a mask, washing your hands. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know enough about her other, like, enemies, other than, like, people that she's fought in Justice League type shit, to even know who would be good to be a villain in the next ones. I'm, I'm in the same boat. And with what I know, I'd want a half and half movie where it's, you know, continue telling the Themyscira story. The flashbacks are like the best part of Wonder Woman, in my opinion, right now. Um, and then, you know, go to the, like the beginning and then the end. <laughs> Do a, give me a half and half in one movie where it's flashing back and forth. But I, I don't know enough about her to, to pick a good one, I think. I, I just want to see them sit down and really think about Wonder Woman as a character and be like, what are her priorities? And make it a list of five and number them. (laughs) And just make her a real person. Because in the first movie, she was a real person and she was awesome and amazing. And I just, I loved everything about her in the first movie. But the second movie went into all kinds of different directions of fan pandering and I don't I don't believe her as a character as a person anymore so I really want her to sit down and just figure out who Wonder Woman is and I think I think a lot of the other things will fall into place once they figure that out it doesn't matter who the villain is it doesn't matter who the friendship or love interests are not that there needs to be any love interests and I think it'd be better without but they need to just need to get their priorities figured out, is my opinion. That's what I hope to see. I like it. What about you, Patrick? For the third film, I want to see her in present day in the world where she's known, where to see how she interacts just as Wonder Woman in the world and being a superhero and what kind of example she sets and not having to, to hide and take cameras down. Um, I don't want Chris Pine to be in it <laughs> because I feel like if you bring him back, they have to kill him off again. I, could, I think you leave that alone for a little while and just let her be Wonder Woman for a movie. I don't really care what the villain is as long as it's grounded in our reality. So it's this is how she operates in the world, in our world. And for the fourth movie, I would like it to be something with the gods and that she gets to return to Themyscira. And I would like the action to take place there and the conclusion to take place there. And if they're going to bring Chris Pine back again... My hope would be that it would be at the end and that he actually gets to stick around. And I feel like if you're introducing the gods, you could give me a realistic way that you bring him back to life and let him stay back alive without it being a gimmick. Like Hercules. And that you could do something fun with that in that he could be the villain in the final movie and the gods bring him back as the the thing that she has to fight and it's under her control and that you could have some fun with that. Yeah. 
and that she, you know, in the end manages to save his soul somehow. I feel like the wrap up of this is that she ends up with with them because they're together in the comics throughout time. They keep rebooting the, the comics every 20 years to redo his story so that he's the same age as her, you know, so they they've committed to it in the comics that that Steve Trevor's always around. So I'm I'm fine if if he comes back eventually, as long as it's just not because she can't exist without him. That part I don't like. She absolutely can exist without him. If you want to bring him back because of his love for her, that's fine. And I feel like, you know, he's definitely a part of this franchise now. And I almost feel like to some extent they will just because they know there's enough viewers that expect to see this in some shape or form. But then do something different with it. You can't do the same thing you just did and just have him come back and then have to leave again in every movie. That's not that's going to get tired really fast. Yeah. But I would like to see the final movie be on Themyscira, even though she wasn't supposed to be able to return. Something can happen, something so large, especially if the Amazons go to war with the gods again, that they have to they have to bring her back and they have to find a way to let her come back. Why, why can't she go back? I can't remember what they said in the first movie as the reason why, because I've read a, too many of the comics where there's always a different reason why. Sometimes it's just if, you, if she chose to leave, she wouldn't be allowed to come back. Got it. Um, there was a time in the comics where she couldn't find her way back, that once she left the invisibility of the island, it was just gone. So it's been rewritten a number of ways. But I feel like when she left with Steve in the movie, I feel like they told her she couldn't come back. I'm going, Mother. I cannot stand by while innocent lives are lost. You know that if you choose to leave, you may never return. Who will I be if I stay? And that might be one of those things where a lot of times in these movies where if the if the comic books have given 10 different reasons over 75 different years, they don't give a reason. They just go, yeah, you, you can't come back. Everyone knows that. And then the viewer, if they've read anything, will just remember their reason why. And for people that didn't read anything, they'll just go, oh, she can't come back because her mom said she can't come back. So she can't come mm. back. It would be interesting to see, because she comes from a world of, of magic, right? It'd be interesting to see her versus technology, maybe. Like a villain that's just all tech-based. Like the Superman buster that, that Bruce makes? Or like Lex Luthor's suits? Well, more like, I, I guess maybe I'm, my mind is still a little bit in like Batman Beyond mode too. Because like I was thinking like, there's a couple characters in there that have crazy suits that are just all, technology's advanced so much, right? That they're able to do crazy shit. But think about like Iron Man. Iron Man is just a dude in a suit, right? So just crazy tech. You could have someone come out with something like that to fight against her or you know, a villain or head of a syndicate or something like that. And then she goes toe to toe with them. But, and maybe it's, you know, her accepting her place in this new world and finally living her life in here. I don't know. It's just weird. I don't know what the plans are, right? Who knows? Do they know? I don't know. Supposedly Patty Jenkins has a, a script already done and ready to go, but at least a plot. We won't find out for a few more years, y'all. Thanks for tuning into the show. Follow us on Twitter at MultiRemotePod, on Instagram at MultiversalRemote, or drop us a line at MultiversalRemotePodcast at gmail.com. This conversation's not over yet. We'll be back next week with a deeper dive into the world of Wonder Woman. And Patrick will pit Nick, Tim, and Victoria against each other in an epic trivia battle you will not want to miss. 
And be sure to join us back here next month for another exciting episode of the Multiversal Remote Podcast. Only on the Radio Free Podcasting Network. Until then, remember, if you only have one wish, don't waste it on coffee. What did you think of your first podcast, Vic? I mean, I thought you guys kept up with me pretty well. <laughs> Ballsy. <laughs> okay, you have to come back every week. I don't care what the topic is. A comment like that wins. Aw, shucks. <laughs> Look, if you don't come back, we won't pass the Bechtel test. <laughs> but did you pass? We won't pass anyway, because I'm talking to you. And also, we need you to bring a friend. <laughs> Wonder Woman!